Amen. Hey, everyone. My name is John, one of the pastors here at Peace Church. Great to see all of you this morning. Great to worship God together. It's a joy to get to bring God's word to you, whether you're here in this room, whether you're joining us in one of our venues or joining us online. Great to have you. All right, well, hey, this morning we are getting into our final chapter in the story of Jonah. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, would you grab that? Open it up to the story of Jonah. We're in chapter four this morning. We've been walking through this story for four weeks. This is the final week of that. And uh, throughout the sermon this morning, we're going to walk through uh, each section of the text. So I'm not going to read the entire chapter at the beginning. We're going to read it as we go through it this morning. Uh, So I want you just to have your Bible open and uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get to work. Sound good? Cool. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, thank you for the story of Jonah that instructs us, that encourages us, that challenges us, that convicts us of sin. God, I pray that you would open up all of our hearts this morning, that we would hear from you, that we would receive your grace and encouragement, that we would also be pierced by your word, challenged and convicted. God, I pray especially that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I am a broken instrument simply up here to bring your word to your people. Pray that you would be glorified and all of us would be built up as we look at your word. Pray this all in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. Amen. So for the last uh, three weeks, we've been walking through this story of Jonah, this Old Testament story that is so familiar to so many. And uh, we've seen each chapter in the story, uh, some major events and some major things that we can learn from that chapter. And this morning, we come to the final of those chapters. And as we do, I want to just give us a quick quick recount, quick uh, refresher on where we've been thus far. And I think we can do so sort of in four, uh, four steps, four images here. Let's take a look at where we've been thus far in the story. We've heard already that Jonah was a prophet of God who ran from God. And yet God pursued Jonah. God didn't just let Jonah go. He pursued him. He sent a storm. Jonah was cast into the sea. And we saw in week one of this series that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. And that was uh, not too cute of a story. Painful moment in Jonah's life. Uh, In the second chapter of this story, we saw uh, that the typical Sunday school story of Jonah having a three-day prayer retreat in the belly of a whale was not quite how it went, that this was a uh, challenging low point in Jonah's life, but that he came before the Lord, the Lord challenged him, he repented, and eventually the Lord had the fish spit Jonah back out, and Jonah uh, hopped out of the whale and got going again on the mission that God had for him. He jumped out, went to Nineveh, preached the word to Nineveh we heard last week, and Nineveh miraculously heard the word, and repented. Now, I think uh, in my experience of talking to people about the story of Jonah, I found that so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, know the story of chapters one and two, right? People know about this guy named Jonah who was a prophet and who got swallowed by a big fish. I think many people, but not quite as many people, know the story of chapter three, that Jonah eventually makes it to the city of Nineveh and preaches there, But I have found that even among Christians, chapter 4 is a very little known chapter. Chapter 4 is not a story that we talk about very much. If you're familiar with it at all, you probably remember sort of the Sunday school picture, right? This is the Sunday school picture of Jonah and that weird miraculous plant that grows up in a night and then disappears shortly after. And we're going to read that story in just a few moments. But as if the rest of the story of Jonah isn't interesting and strange enough, I think this final chapter is a pretty strange story. Not only is it strange, it's actually, I would say, the lowest point in the entire book, which is saying something for a guy who ran from God and got swallowed by a big fish. 
right? I, that's saying something to say that this is actually the lowest point in Jonah's story. So thus far in this series, we've seen that Jonah is actually a lot like you and I. Isn't he? Jonah has a lot of ups and a lot of downs in his life. Jonah has great capacity for good, and yet he's also got a sinful nature that wants to run against God. And the same thing is true for us. We're mixed bags, aren't we? We're not all good, and we're not all bad. You and I are born with a sinful nature that wants to go against God, and yet if we're in Christ, we have a new nature that God has given us that wants to follow the Lord. The journey of the Christian life is one of growing in holiness, but it's usually not a steady uh, uh, incline. It's usually not a steady, consistent growth. It's more like a roller coaster of ups and downs and hopefully a general trajectory that takes us more and more closer to the conformity of Jesus Christ. And this week, we're going to conclude this series by looking at chapter 4, the final stage in Jonah's story that we know of. And we're going to do that in three sections. So if you got your Bible, would you look with me at Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And let's take a look at Jonah's heart in the book of Jonah. We're going to read just verses 1 through 4 right now. Let's read this. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said... O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? It's too bad the story didn't end at the end of uh, chapter 3, isn't it? Could have had a happy ending, right? Jonah preaches, people receive it, people repent. But no, we've got this shocking word in the beginning of chapter 4. This shocking word, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, I think you and I have to grasp and realize just how shocking of a word this is. You remember what happened at the end of chapter 3, right? This great high point. God saw what they had did. God saw the people of Nineveh had repented after Jonah preached to them, and they turned from their evil ways, and God decided not to destroy the city of Nineveh. And the very next line, but it displeased Jonah, and he was angry. This is a shocking turn of events, isn't it? I mean, Jonah has arguably preached the most immediately effective sermon in all of history, right? Five words, 120,000 people, instant repentance, right? That's, that's arguably the most immediately effective sermon that's ever been preached in all of history. I mean, I think if I, as a preacher, uh, were to go to uh, downtown Grand Rapids and the city of Grand Rapids has roughly the same amount of people as Nineveh, it's right around 100 to 120,000 people. I mean, can you imagine if I went down to the streets of Grand Rapids and I walked from one end of Grand Rapids to the other and every street corner, no microphone, no megaphone, I just kind of shouted five words. And by the, end of, by the time I got to the end of the city, if the entire city was out there on the streets repenting and saying, God, forgive us for our sins, we want to turn to you. I would be pumped, right? I mean, Billy Graham who, right? (laughs) I mean, we don't, you know, we know that the the fruit of the sermon belongs to the Lord, not the preacher. I don't want that to, to be arrogant. But as a preacher, man, we get excited when things happen after the preaching of God's word. I think I would be pumped if this was the result. And yet Jonah, Jonah is ticked. Jonah's not thrilled with what's going on here. Uh, Take a closer look at verse 1. If you've got an ESV Bible in front of you, which is what we provide uh, in in the chairs and around the room, 
You might notice that there's a footnote there that says that there's another way to read a couple of these words. Uh, This word displeased could also be translated as the word evil. It's a word that's used throughout the book of Jonah several times. It reminds us, especially back at the beginning of, uh, of Jonah, where it says that Nineveh was evil, right? It says Nineveh was exceedingly evil. That's how scripture describes it. I think what we see here at the beginning of chapter four is that the tables have begun to turn, right? That whereas we thought Nineveh was actually the evil bad guy in the story, in Jonah's mind, it's no longer Nineveh who is the evil bad guy in the story. It's actually God's actions towards Nineveh that have now become evil. Jonah is no longer thinking of Nineveh as the one who is in the wrong, but God as the one who is in the wrong. And I think objectively, in reality speaking, it's even scarier that we see that no longer is Nineveh the bad guy, but actually Jonah himself has become the bad guy. Verse 2 tells us what's going on underneath the surface, what's going on in Jonah's heart. Verse 2 says this, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I think what verse 2 tells us is that there has in fact been uh, an ongoing discussion between Jonah and God throughout the whole story that you and I didn't see. We get a little taste of that off the page conversation. Jonah essentially says, I told you so, God. I knew you were like this, God. I knew this is what you would do. This is what I didn't want to happen. This is why I didn't want to go. I told you so. This is exactly what I thought you were going to do because I knew what you were like. This is actually a pretty scary insight into the depths of Jonah's heart. The reason that he didn't want to go on this journey to Nineveh is because he knew God's character. He knew God's character and he didn't like it. Let's break down that train of thought just a little bit further so that we can kind of grasp it and swallow it because I think that's a big thing to, uh, to, to chew on and to grasp and to swallow. Uh, we know, or Jonah knew, that God was a merciful God, right? Jonah quotes the scriptures uh, when, when he's sharing those words about God's abounding, steadfast love. He's quoting from Exodus 34, a, a verse that would have been told to, to children uh, uh, week in and week out, to Israelite children. He knew God's character from the scriptures, especially Exodus 34. He's a prophet. He knows the Bible. He knows what God is like. So Jonah knew that God was merciful, We also know that Jonah was happy when God was merciful to him, right? Jonah got some mercy when he was in the belly of the big fish. Uh, If you remember, uh, remember especially uh, Jonah chapter 2, verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your temple, and I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Chapter 2, Jonah's pretty thankful, right, that God has had mercy on him. And yet, Jonah is not so happy when God has mercy on other people, when God is merciful to others. In fact, not only does Jonah not like it, he calls it evil. He says it's evil that God has mercy on these other people. This is bad stuff, right? This This is not a good look for Jonah. This is a bad place for his heart to be. God is very clear about where his heart is, his intentions, his will, and yet Jonah wants something that God doesn't want. 
God is very clear that he wants to have mercy on Nineveh. And Jonah is very clear that that's the opposite of what he wants or desires. There is something in Jonah's life that he is putting before God. What do we call that when you put something in your life before God? I heard a lot of you guys say it. That's exactly right. And in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is very clear that he knows this and that he thinks that this is really bad. In Jonah uh, chapter 2 verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What do we call it when we put something before God? We call it idolatry. We're worshiping something, loving something, prioritizing something before God. Call it idolatry. Now, is it a bad thing that Jonah is thankful for God's grace to him? No, that's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Is it a bad thing that Jonah loves his country and is not a fan of those who hurt his country? No, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a bad thing. Is it a bad thing that Jonah wants to see justice for evil? No, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And yet, it's exactly the good things that you and I have a tendency to turn into idols, isn't it? If it's, a, it's an easy choice between bad things and good things. It's a hard thing to make sure that the good things stay in the right order compared to God. Our hearts have a tendency to take even the best of God's gifts and take them to an unhealthy level. And scripture calls that idolatry. One of the clues that I think we see in the text is that Jonah has done just this, taken some good things and moved them to an unhealthy level of love. I think that comes in verse 3 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. This is very like Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Oh, my greatest love is gone. Oh, I must, my, my life is over. Right? You all know Romeo and Juliet, right? Shakespeare. You know how it ends? I know in English class I had a hard time getting to the end of that story, but that's how it ends. I don't know if you know that. The lovers, when they, they, they think each one is gone, they, that's the end of their lives. Okay. You guys go back and read some, uh, read some Shakespeare. Or don't. That's okay. Uh, so Jonah goes to this unhealthy place of saying, my life is over because my greatest love has been crushed, right? He has identified what it is that he can't live without. This is a scenario that Jonah says, my life is essentially over because we've arrived at this place. I think this makes the point that there is something that Jonah can't live without and that thing is not God. He has put something else above God in his life. Taken something good and made it bad by putting it before God. And God, like an expert counselor, asks a piercing question. Jonah do you do well to be angry? Jonah, are you in the right? Is this the right, righteous, good place to be for your heart? That's the question that God asks. He sees Jonah's heart. He knows what's going on in his heart. And he asks him to consider and to reflect. Remember, Jonah was a prophet of God. He followed God faithfully, we imagine, up until God said, go to Nineveh. Right? Jonah was much like you and I. He, he, he was a part of a church. He followed the Lord. He read the word. He was faithful until that moment when God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, that's the one thing. That's the thing I can't do. That's the thing I won't do for you, God. I think you and I have a question that we need to reflect on ourselves this morning that's similar to the question that Jonah had to reflect on is this. 
I would phrase it this way. What is your exception clause? Right? Jonah was faithful to the Lord except for that one thing. Except for that one thing. I want to I encourage you and challenge you this morning to reflect in your own life. What is that except? You want to follow the Lord with everything you have except if blank. And I know you know the right answer, right? I know you know that, that well, the answer is nothing. I, I would always follow the Lord no matter what. But reflect and think, what is that hidden spot in your heart that you are putting something before God? When was the last time you thought or said, I would rather die than, I can't live like blank. I'd hate to imagine what I would do if I wish I were dead or I wish I'd never been born. Have you ever heard a, a kid say that, right? When they think the world is over, they say, oh, I wish I'd never been born. I hear that every once in a while from my kids. If blank happens, then God, we're through. It's over. It's done. Don't love you. Don't trust you anymore. What is the one or more things in your life that if you were to lose them or if a certain scenario were to happen, that it would pose a threat to your relationship with God? Is it your career? If something were to threaten your career, that would be the end of your relationship with God. Is it if a rival of yours were to get the promotion and you were to get the promotion or to make more money or to have something successful happen in their life? Is it if something were to happen to your kids? God, if something happens to one of my kids, that's it. You can't be good. I can't trust you if that were to happen. Is it if something happens to your spouse? Is it if something happens to your health, to your wealth, to your comforts, even to your rights, our rights that can be taken away from us? In which, in which scenario do you imagine yourself walking away from God or never setting foot in God's church again? In which scenario do you imagine yourself sitting alone in a bar with a bottle of liquor Writing off the world, saying, that's it, that happened, and now it's over, it's done. I think the answer to these questions will give you some clues to where your idols lie, and all of us have them. Brothers and sisters, I think you and I need to be ready for the day when these things come. I think sometimes God brings things into our lives to call out the idols in our lives. Sometimes the circumstances of the world challenge us and put us in a place where things will be taken away from us and you, will, you and I will have to choose. Will we continue to follow the Lord? Will we be faithful? Will we trust him when things are taken away from us? There's a song that I've listened to a, a lot in the last couple of weeks and there's a, there's a verse in the song that says this. Should my life be torn from me, every worldly pleasure, when all I possess is grief, God be then my treasure. The verse of that song strikes my heart and tells me that's exactly it. When it's all taken away, when it's all gone and all I have left is God, will my soul be satisfied? Will it be found that all that John has left is a love for God and that's okay? We see the idolatry in Jonah's heart in this first part of Jonah chapter 4. Let's go on to the second part of Jonah chapter 4, and I think we see something about God's heart. Take a look at the text with me, and let's read verses 5 through 11. 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry for the plant, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So we see after this first conversation with God that Jonah stomps off mad, right? Jonah stomps off outside the city, grabs a beach chair, grabs a bag of popcorn, and he sits down kind of hoping and waiting that he's going to see the show of fire coming out of the sky and enveloping the city of Nineveh. And as he waits, he realizes it's kind of hot outside, right? He gets a little hot, gets a little warm, and he says, oh man, it's hot outside. Of all the things I could be upset about right now, it's hot outside. And then all of a sudden, God miraculously provides this shade tree that all of a sudden pops out of the ground and provides Jonah shade. And for the first time in the entire book of Jonah, Jonah gets pumped, right? Of all the things he could be excited about. He's not excited after he preaches to Nineveh and they repent, but he is pumped that he has got a shade umbrella, Right? That's what he gets stoked about. I got some shade to sit here and hope and wait for the devastation of an entire city of people. Something a little, a little off about that, uh, about that way of thinking. The next day, God appoints a worm that destroys the plant, and Jonah is back to being super upset with God, thinks his life is over. And like before, God responds with that really good question. Do you do well? Are you in the right to be angry? Verses 10 and 11, I think, give us the meaning of the entire story. While chapter 4 is probably the least known chapter of the story, I think chapter 4 actually gives us the very heart of the entire book of Jonah. I think it comes in these two verses. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. In just two sentences, the whole meaning of the book comes through and we're left with a question to ponder. I think one of the key words in this text is this word pity. You pity the plant and God says he pities the people of Nineveh. You pity a plant, and should not I pity Nineveh? The other, uh, another translation of this word pity could be compassion. Jonah, you had compassion, concern, care, love. Jonah, you loved a plant. Should not I love the city of all these people of Nineveh? 
In two sentences, God draws out the ridiculous comparison of these two options. Uh, when I study scripture, sometimes I find it really helpful just to, just to kind of write out some things that I see in the text. It helps me kind of uh, uh, digest it myself. And so I wrote out a little bit of a chart. I also really like charts and kind of, kind of visual things. These things are helpful uh, to me. If you don't get nerded out, nerded out over these things, that's okay. But I'm, I'm just going to show you. Here's kind of, I broke down what was in the text. And I thought it just helped me kind of see the comparison, right? We got Jonah in the plant and we got God in the city. God says, Jonah, you didn't labor for the plant. I did labor to build that city. Jonah, you didn't make that plant grow. Jonah, I made each of those people grow from the time they were in the womb to the time they were an adult. Jonah, that plant came in a night. Jonah, the city of Nineveh developed over generations. Jonah, the plant perished in a single night. Jonah, the city of Nineveh went on for generations. Jonah, the plant is real small. The city of Nineveh repeatedly in the book of Jonah is called great, not meaning its moral quality, but its size. It's a big city. Jonah, there was just one plant. Jonah, there's 120,000 people. Jonah, it was a plant. Jonah, those are people. Jonah, there was a plant. Jonah, there was some cattle in there. Right? I think the, the, the end of the story draws out this ridiculous, God is just calling out the silliness of the comparison, right? I mean, if you and I were to, I mean, Scripture doesn't necessarily break down the value of plants, animals, and people. But I think when we read Scripture and we look at uh, on the sixth day, God made man and woman in his own image. I think we can get just kind of like a vague sense of, all right, plants are probably over here on the value scale. We know that people are way over here on the value scale. And I think God, just for fun, throws in a middle point just to show just how silly this is, right? Uh, Jonah, I, I mean, the point I think is essentially this. Jonah, it would have been right for me to spare Nineveh even if it were only for the stinking cows in the city. Right, God is telling Jonah, you are way in the wrong here. You love this plant. I love these people. I made these people. Right, Jonah's error is that he has dehumanized the city of Nineveh. He's forgotten what God has invested in these people. He's forgotten how God sees them. He's assumed that he matters to God, but his enemies do not matter to God. Like what you and I need to take from this is that we need to both know God's heart and share God's heart. This is what Jonah needed to do, was to know God's heart. And Jonah did know God's heart, but he didn't share God's heart. He knew God's character, but he didn't share it. How do you and I do that? You and I do that by spending time daily in the Word, seeing God's heart. I know I need daily to be reminded how God sees the world because my own, my own viewpoint can get so skewed so quickly. When I daily look at Scripture and see how God sees the world, I get a sense of his heart and I get invited to share his heart. Do you share God's heart for the people around you? The coworker who drives you nuts at work because they have a completely opposite political viewpoint from you. You and I live today in a, in a world that is so polarized, so much easier to get frustrated with people now than it ever has been, I think. What do you do with that person who has a completely different viewpoint from you? And you might be totally right, and they might be dead wrong. But God made that person in his own image. How does God see that person? Remember, right, Nineveh is in the wrong here. Right, Nineveh is evil. 
this is not a message of relativism. Ah, there's different viewpoints, and one person might be right, one person might be wrong, treat everybody nice. That's not the point here. The point is that people, even who are wrong, even who are opposed to God, are still made in the image of God, and you and I need to love them. It doesn't mean that we're always nicer on great terms, but we need to have a love for them that desires that they meet Jesus and receive, receive eternal salvation. What about your neighbor who is not a Christian and who is on the opposite side of moral issues from you? As we see moral issues explode, the, uh, the issue of, of life in the womb, the issue of sexuality and gender and all different kinds of things, your neighbor who's on the opposite side of all of those things, how do you think of them? How do you treat them? What is your prayer for them? Do you love both God's justice as well as his mercy. I think this is a part of Jonah's struggle, right? Jonah thinks that mercy is for him, justice is for others. Do you love both God's justice and his mercy for you and for others? Do your words and your actions reflect God's heart? How you use your time, your money, your energy, do they reflect God's priorities in the world? Third and final section that I want to look at here in Jonah chapter 4. We don't have a new section of text here, but I want to look at a displaying of God's heart in and through the person of Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of his Father's heart. That Jesus is the perfect portrayal of his Father's character Matthew chapter 12 tells us that there's a comparison between Jonah and Jesus. We saw this in week one, that Jonah himself is a sign and a story that points to Jesus. So let me just close by, I just want, I just want to point out a few different ways that this story and that Jonah points us to Jesus, that Jonah is both similar and opposite to Jesus. Let me just, just hear this and think about the glory of your Savior coming through this Old Testament story. Both Jesus and Jonah, towards the end of their ministries, went into big cities and preached repentance, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And the two different approaches that they have is significant. Whereas Jonah, after preaching repentance, goes outside the city to wait and to hope for the people to be destroyed by the wrath of God. Jesus after preaching repentance, goes outside of the city to save the people by allowing himself to be destroyed by the wrath of God. Whereas Jonah thought that he deserved the love of God, unlike the sinners around him, Jesus himself truly did deserve the love of God, and yet he died, gave up his life in order to save the sinners around him. Whereas Jonah cared nothing for the Ninevites who God said they don't know their right hand from their left. Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the heart of our God. You and I have heard convicting words from scripture this morning. You and I have heard how our hearts are so often like Jonah but now I want you to hear that we also have a Savior, a God of mercy and a God of grace who comes to those who repent. A God of mercy and a God of grace 
who wants to love and have a relationship with sons and daughters who know that they have sin in their lives, who come before the Lord, who repent and receive Jesus, the perfect son, as their savior. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand with me and let's pray to close. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy poured out in the person of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us each day to walk more and more in likeness to Jesus. God, that we would share his heart, that we would share your heart for the world around us. God, thank you for saving us from our sin. Thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. Thank you for having mercy on us. God, I pray that we would be a people who carry the message of mercy to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen.